guys, welcome to the Seven Figure Box Show. This is Andrew Frezza, and I'm joined today by Josh Martin of Coaching for Glory, which is a former CrossFit gym, I believe, right? You guys are not still a CrossFit affiliate? That's correct, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in Lithia, Florida, and also the uh, co-founder and CEO of uh, Two Brain Coaching, and he's also a mentor for Two Brain Business. So I uh, heard about Josh through Chris Cooper. Um, Chris and I were talking about how we view uh, coaching and coaches development. And he said, you got to talk to Josh. Josh, you know, thinks a lot like you do. He's got some of the same type of frameworks, ideas. And, and Josh and I talked last week and, and it was really cool, refreshing to talk to Josh. So I want to bring him on the show to talk about what makes a great coach, how he thinks about coaches development, um, talk about the programs he has for, for helping you guys become better co coaches if you're interested in, in working with him. So um, can you give us a, a little uh, rundown? I mean, anything that you can fill in any gaps that I miss in terms of your background, but kind of how did you get to, you know, I'm really interested. How'd you get to the two brain coaching side of things? Where, where did that whole, whole thing evolve from? Yeah. Um, first, thanks for having me on. Uh, it's a, it's definitely an honor and a privilege. So I appreciate that. I appreciate your time. Um, so I've been a fitness coach for going on about two decades now. And our gym this year will have been open for 10 years. And one of the things that uh, I was very fortunate through my career and, and becoming a fitness coach was I had a lot of amazing people just kind of prop me up and, and give me opportunity to become a coach and develop as a coach. So whenever I opened my own gym, I, I wanted to uh, give that opportunity to others and kind of pay it forward. And so we, we tried a lot of different things that I'm sure any gym owner listening has done where it's, you know, first you're coaching everything. And then it's like, man, I, I need to get somebody else in here. So it's, you know, come shadow this class and then you're going to take over. Uh, and then you refine it a little bit further and maybe you put some SOPs on paper and then you refine it a little bit further. And so uh, a couple of years ago, I was talking to, to Chris Cooper and, I had put this framework together of, of what I thought at the time was just the best iteration of, of developing coaches that we had ever done. And we said, you know, I, I think it's time to kind of take this out to the public and uh, not just keep it in-house. And so that's how Two Brain uh, Coaching was, was really born and um, was just with a, a good framework for how we believe is, is the best fit for getting coaches up to speed and, and really creating a meaningful career. What, what was it that you thought needed to be spread out to the world? You know, like you have, you're coming from a CrossFit background. So you know about the level one, the level two, the level three, you know about all these specialty seminars. I'm sure you went to a bunch of them. Mm -hmm. What did you feel like needed to be put out there? Yeah. So I, I think that there is value in so many of the courses and certifications that are out there. And I really group them into two different buckets. One is the bucket of methods. So that is where you are learning a specific methodology that you want to use to train your clientele. CrossFit and anything to do with CrossFit would be a methodology, you know, course or certification. Then you have courses that are really the second bucket uh, they would fall into is what I would consider principles. So NASM, uh, NSCA, um, OPEX, you know, some of these others where they're, they're really founded upon principles and not methodology. But the, the 
two biggest glaring holes that I think the majority of these things were, were really missing was, okay, how do I actually take this and become a coach? So if I go to a course that is founded upon a methodology, well, what does that actually tell me I should be doing day one when a client walks in, whether it's a prospective client or a current client? And I can speak on um, just coming from a university background and getting my degree in exercise science. You know, same thing. I came out of college and had all the principles and knowledge, but when a client actually comes to you on day one, what actually happens? So we, we're looking at it from, from the how standpoint. Um, and then I really have a huge belief that that development should be structured in a way that you are working one-on-one -on -one with somebody. And so our course is unique in the sense that every person that goes through it works directly one-on-one -on -one with one of our coaching mentors. Nice. I love that. I love that, that initial framework. And, you know, we had kind of bounced back and forth between some of our frameworks that I want to get into now with us, with the rockstar coaching course, we kind of built a framework that's similar to the CrossFit pyramid for training an athlete, where we have the uh, cheerleader, the programmer, the technician, the coach, and the director. And I said those out of order, but those are the five roles. And I know you have some frameworks as well for how you think about developing good coaches. So what are some of the frameworks that you have besides these two buckets? Yeah, so the, the, uh, the biggest one that, that kind of brought it all together for me is, is I looked at the scope of what was happening in the fitness industry a couple of years ago, and, and everybody was hard charging into becoming like what you described as a really great technician. They could speak to the angle of the hip whenever you're coming off the floor for the first pull in the snatch, or, you know, what shin angle should my leg be at whenever I'm deadlifting if I've got long femurs or short femurs. So all these great technical elements, looking at things in slow-mo and videos. Um, so that, that is really where the, the people had a huge base of knowledge. And that was to me, their foundation of their development period is they went hard charging into what we term the biological side of coaching. Mm -hmm. So our pyramid, I actually took that and flipped it upside down. So the base where we start everybody with is the social side of coaching. And the easiest way to think about this is the first thing that you should do when somebody walks into your facility is smile at them. And everybody listening is probably laughing like, yeah, well, well of course you should do that. And you think it's common sense, but Andrew, you've been a gym owner for a really long time, just like I have. And I'm sure that you can agree with me that you've seen plenty of coaches in your experience that, that can't get that part right. Mm -hmm. And that's what I saw in, in working with a ton of gym owners on the two brain business side and talking to coaches on the two brain coaching side is we really needed to spend a huge amount of time developing their um, social skills, you know, the soft skills understanding the nuance of conversation, you know, how to establish points of commonality is one of the things that we say. So that's the base of our pyramid. And then one step up with that is the psychological side of coaching. And that's where we're talking about, you know, what's going on, not just in your head as a coach and how to, you know, keep your people motivated, highlight success, but also what's going on in the head of the client that is in front of you. And then the final tip of the spear would be the biological side of coaching. 
I definitely think that coaches should have a very basic understanding of anatomy and physiology, biomechanics, program design, but that can't form the bulk of what you're learning, especially when you're becoming a brand new coach. So it's the social, psychological, and then the top of that pyramid is the biological side of coaching. Nice. What do you say to people that say, okay, well, yeah, like, duh, you need to smile when you see a, you know, see a member in the gym, but like, you can't teach that stuff. And, and ultimately the person either has it or they don't. What, what do you say to that? Um, it's funny. I, I actually wrote about this a couple of months ago because I did have this conversation with, a with another gym owner. And a lot of times what, what is common in the gym owner space when we're thinking about hiring somebody is, you know, hire for personality and train for skill. And so that's, that's kind of like the shortcut way to get around exactly what you're talking about is you don't want to hire a human being that's a grouch and can't smile, but you also need to make sure that the people that you do hire even if they have a great personality, you should still be developing them to get even better at the social side. The, the difference is, is that if I'm developing you as a coach um, from the technical side and I'm watching what you're doing, evaluating you like a, a good head coach or an owner should be doing, and you miss a couple of points of performance as you're watching this client afterwards, I might come back and say, hey, Andrew, you know, these are a couple of things that you missed on so-and-so's movement. You know, let's just try to think about that and put it into practice next time. No problem. You'll accept it as constructive feedback, internalize it, turn around and be a better coach the next day. But if I pull you aside and say, hey, Andrew, you know, you really missed the boat on smiling at this person, greeting them by name when you walked in. You walked by these three people three different times as you were circling the room. You missed interaction there that cuts deep and that can almost seem like you are getting your character called into question. And it's not about that at all because the love and care of the head coach or the owner is still there. But when we're dealing with personality, it can come across like you're attacking them personally. Now, of course, this takes some social graces on behalf of who is doing the evaluating, but you can imagine if done correctly, even still it could be received as being an attack on their character. So to answer your question, it definitely can and should be done in terms of coaching the social side. It's just very uncomfortable to be the person pointing those things out. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I think there's a huge um, margin for improvement in those areas. I think, you know, you're, you're really illuminating someone to, to some blind spots. You know, they mm -hmm. might be well-intentioned. They might do things well, 70, 80% of the time, but there's still going to be blind spots. And I also think that there's people that, uh, there's a lot of room for improvement that, that truly come off like an asshole right now, but yes. are, are well-meaning and can really make a huge shift in that area if they are directed and taught the same way. And I think too many gym owners and coaches look at the bad apples as reinforcement that, oh no, this, this can't be taught. But I think there's probably, I think for 80, 90% of coaches, these things can be taught, improved and, and uh, made significant progress on. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, so you mentioned kind of the, the personal attack side, this thing, this could come off as a personal attack. Um, what are some of the things that, that enable it to not come off that way 
Um, I would imagine that by just understanding some of these frameworks to begin with and having sort of this common language or common shared goal, it helps bring those conversations to light. Whereas if you've never talked about this or um, discussed this at all and you point it out, it could feel like a real big attack. But is that kind of how you think of it? Or what are some other ways that people can make this more constructive? Yeah. So it's, it's so funny that you asked this right now, because we just had a big staff meeting with all of all the staff at my gym this past weekend. And I was sharing, you know, vision for the rest of the year and recapping 2020 and some of the things, you know, that happened there and, and kind of just trying to paint a clear picture of where we're going. But I told them at the very beginning of the meeting, I said, if you take nothing else away from the two hours that we're going to spend together right now, I want you to know three things. Number one is I love you. And I went around and made sure that I looked every single person in the eye and told them that I love you and that you are part of what makes this so special and it works. So they need to know that. Um, number two is that there is an expectation of accountability and it's a two-way street. So not only are we going to lean heavily on holding you, the coaches and staff accountable, but I also want that to be reflected back to me. So if I, as the owner, say something that I'm going to do something and I don't, I expect you to say to me, you know, hey, I'm holding you accountable. You said this thing. But the third one, I think, really speaks to what you're talking about here is and it is don't take anything personally. So if you remember the first two things, it leads really beautifully into the last one is not taking anything personally. So you know that if I point out, hey, you know, this, uh, just as a silly example, this rack of dumbbells was not put back correctly. Here is our SOP that shows you how it should be done. It's not a personal attack. It's just part of what we have all agreed to do in the context of what we're doing for the people that walk through the door. So I think that you have to be really transparent with, with your intentions and reinforce that as often as you can. Um, but it also happens in the context of the one-on-one -on -one relationship and conversation that you have with your staff such that they trust what you're saying, whether you say you love them, hold them accountable, or don't take anything personally. Nice. Um, yeah, I think that's awesome. I, I love how you've, you know, for us, it's, it's this idea of caring. We have core values at our gym and we've uh, evolved our core values over the years to make them actionable, mm -hmm. which is uh, we care, we coach, and we lead by example. And it's really important that it happens in that order, whether it's, you know, me helping one of our coaches or a coach helping the client is starting with that caring aspect. And that's what makes uh, the, the criticism not come off in a way that feels like a personal attack. And it's, it's important that you layered it that way. I like that, that you yeah. did that. Um, what are, what, what other frameworks do you have in terms of thinking about coaching, developing coaches, how, you know, progressing coaches, coaches development, what, what other frameworks do you have? Yeah. So we, we like to say that, um, we are definitely founded and teach, um, principles, not methods because principles really stand the test of time. So we have five principles that we go through when we're, we're looking at coach development. So the first one we refer to as enjoy the process. So we believe that if you are in this fitness coaching space, you should enjoy what you do. And so we break that down and look at focus, effort, and time. But principle one is enjoy the process. Principle two is really the system that we use uh, that we teach coaches in terms of 
from client intake, the relationship that you develop with the client and how to progress them. Uh, principle two is learn, design, deliver, and refine. Uh, principle three is sleep, eat, move, and manage. Uh, principle four is empower through education. So this is where we can help coaches start to really think uh, forward about what they want to niche down on, what they can create a career in. And then finally, principle five is actually, I don't know if any of this is going to be on video, but you can see my shirt right now. It says everything is everything. Mm -hmm. And so that is principle five. And, and this is really the summation of everything that we really believe at to bring coaching. And it's, it's the realization that, you know, seemingly unrelated things are not only related, but they're also dependent upon one another. So not only does what you did yesterday inform what you might do today or tomorrow, but it also influences it. So um, you have to appreciate that concept and that principle just as what it is and saying it, even if you don't fully understand it. That's great. That, that third one that you have, sleep, eat, move, manage, is that referring to the coach taking care of themselves or as it relates to the client kind of focusing on more of the lifestyle? Yeah, it's, it's funny, you know, as we wrote these principles out, what we realized is it's, it's not only how we are developing the coach, but also how the coach can go and develop their clients. So yeah, we want coaches to live and breathe these principles that we have, but they're also going to be the, the things that they take and teach to their clients. So, you know, when we're working with somebody, I think anybody that's listening, that's a gym owner, um, we've got the movement piece taken care of pretty well, no matter what you actually teach in your gym for movement. And I think most gyms these days, especially in the past couple of years, nutrition has really kind of helped form an, another great backbone piece to your uh, gym business. But the other two components, the sleep and the stress management, that's actually what Manage is talking about, um, are a little bit newer, but we want people to coach all four of these to get the best outcome for their client. Yeah, I love it. The one thing I get from your frameworks is there's a very much like a holistic nature to it. And there's an alignment to it as well, where um, it doesn't just apply to sort of a special scenario. You can project this out to, you know, the co not just the coach, but also the client. And then like, I'm thinking of examples that are completely unrelated to the gym at all, just maybe personal development or, uh -huh. or learning. You can see how this uh, layers in really well. You know, you talk about your, your framework of um, going from social to psychological to biological. You know, I, I really think about like the behavior change element yeah. that falls in that psychological. It doesn't matter how much you know, if, there, if you can't understand behavior change, which seems to me to fall into that psychological component, then like nothing's going to happen. And I think there's a lot of your, your frameworks are almost like individual ecosystems that, that feed each other, which is cool. Yeah. And, and it's, I'm glad that you kind of made that connection because it, it can be a lot for people to, to take in and to understand but I'll share a quick, interesting aside story. Uh, one of the members at my gym, he's been there for several years. He's the COO of a really uh, big company here in the Tampa area. And they have 
um, business that they do all across the country. And he happened to read one of the articles that uh, was posted on the Two Brain Coaching website. And he emailed me, he's like, hey, have you ever thought about taking this outside of the fitness landscape? You know, because I, we could apply this to our company. Is that something, you know, that you've ever thought about or would want to do? And so of course I would, I jump at the opportunity, but yeah, I mean, he's, he's looking at it just like you kind of looked at it as this isn't just for fitness coaches. It can really be applied to anything in life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that you like the one-on-one mentoring aspect mm-hmm. of developing coaches. How do you do that from afar? You know, I think that that's great that you can do that in your facility, but how are you doing that from afar in the sense of, you know, you can't see someone coach a class, you can't take their classes. How do you know if someone's implementing those things and how do you know if they're really developing? Yeah. So this is something that we, we thought about for a really, really long time before we ever, um, you know, made our courses live. And, and I kind of told a, a little white lie in terms of the, our, our pyramid of development that we have. Um, there is actually one uh, layer underneath the social side that everybody goes through first in any of our courses. And it's really a period of self-discovery. And so what we have in there is for coaches to do a self-assessment, to think about you know, and put some time into being aware of what their values are, what their perfect day is, and really what they want out of, you know, a potential career in the fitness coaching industry. And so the way that we deliver our education is everything is done online, but at specific intervals, they get onto a Zoom call, just like we're on right now for 60 minutes with one of our coaching mentors. And they will go through, they have this homework that they've had to do. So it's the self-assessment piece, the social piece, and then they meet with one of our mentors. And so they'll talk about it and they get deep into conversation. And while you can't maybe see them physically on the floor right then and there coaching, working one-on-one with the client, what we found is that this is a, a really, really great way to facilitate discussion and help people boost their confidence in what they actually do know and use it out on the floor. And that's been probably the most interesting thing in terms of feedback when we get together as a staff at Two Brain Coaching is, you know, these coaches are coming on knowing a decent amount, but they're really like lacking in confidence. And that can really derail a potentially good training session if the coach is you know, kind of downcast, they're not confident in what they do know. It doesn't mean that they have to know a lot, but they should be, have a baseline level of uh, confidence in their competence. So we have the online learning, we have the mentorship combined with that, but we also do have them video um, portions of the coaching that they are actually doing. They send it ahead to the mentor before their call, the mentor reviews it, and then they will actually go through it on the call as well. Nice. I like that. Um, How do you think about coaches making a career out of coaching? And what do you think are some of the big obstacles that are keeping coaches from being able to make a career out of it? Well, I think if you are a, a coach at a gym, I think the gym can really make or break that opportunity for you. 
Um, so I, I, let, it, let's just assume that you are at a gym that really supports you and, and not just to be a shameless plug, but if you're at a two brain gym, you should be set up pretty well for that to take place. Before you get, before you get into that, what would be signs that someone's not in the right gym and they, they need to maybe move on? Man, that is a really great, deep question. <laughs> Um, I mean, is it, is it come down to pay? Is it come down to pay? Does it come down to, uh, room for growth in terms of other responsibilities outside of coaching? Is mm -hmm. it, you know, is it PT pay? Because that's yeah. where, you know, what, what do you think, what comes to mind for you? I think the first thing that comes to mind is if you approach your owner with the idea that you want to pursue this as a, a career, or that you just want to start coaching and you want to get your feet wet, if they don't set up time to sit down one-on-one, -on -one, no distractions for at least an hour to talk to you about it, to ask you, you know, what is the vision that you have? You know, why do you want to, you know, take this challenge on? Are you ready, willing, and able to do so? If you can't even get that out of your owner, I think that's a huge red flag. Yeah. I would say space to have a really deep discussion, <laughs> 60 to 90 minutes preferred. Um, if it's like in passing, oh yeah, you want to coach? Okay, cool. Show up to, eh, I, I would probably look the other way, you know, because what that tells me is that they're not even treating it like a profession themselves mm -hmm. and knowing enough and seeing enough in the fitness industry um, the expectation that we have is that these coaches should treat their role as a professional. But if you're not seeing that behavior modeled from your owner, that's a big red flag. Yeah. Okay. So let's say they are in a gym that is willing to have that discussion and the discussion's fairly productive, but you know, we don't know what that was in that discussion, but what can the coach do to help facilitate that path to uh, make it a real career? Yeah. So this is one that I talk about um, a lot. The prospective coach needs to value what it is that they are actually going to be doing. Uh, and what I mean by that is they need to understand that there needs to be an equal exchange of money for the service that is being delivered. Because working in the health and fitness industry can um, breed a, a lot of feelings of altruism and I'm doing this for the greater good and I really don't care how much I get paid. <clears throat> but when push comes to shove, you need to put food on your table and feed your family. And so if you can't make that connection between the service that you're providing and the value of that service to the client, it's going to be a very short-lived career for you. And one of the ways that you can actually do that is by being the one that actually pays for your education. Because that, what that ends up doing, and I can speak just for myself as an owner, when, when our staff makes that choice, what they are actually doing in their head, I know because I've talked to them, is the calculation of if I spend X amount of dollars on this course, number one, how quickly can I expect to make that money back? And then what is the investment in that education actually going to do for me a year, five, 10, 15 years down the road? Yeah, I think that's a, an awesome example because, yeah, I think there is this disconnect in, in many fields that are kind of this altruistic 
uh, field where people know the importance of the role that they do, the life-changing aspect. They see, I think in our industry, they see a big number. They see, oh my God, we're charging 150, 175, 200, 250 a month. They forget about all the operational costs that go into uh, that membership. You know, the, the gym owner is not pocketing $200 off a $200 membership and they want more, right? And I think what you're saying is really just a small example of like them starting to understand the more of the entrepreneur mindset of like, okay, there is an investment or in order to make these things happen. And if I'm going to take an investment on like continuing education, I should expect some kind of ROI on that, you know? And I think, I think personal training is another good example as well, where people start to look at, okay, yes, I'm charging this. It is my time, but there is other costs with this. And you know, they, they understand that, okay, if I were to go off on my own and have a personal training studio, I'd have to pay for rent and do all that stuff. So it can be another way for them to connect the dots. Whereas it's hard in a group class. There's so many moving parts Mm -hmm. that go into running like a good group class that, um, things like continuing education and personal training can start to simplify those frameworks. Yes. Um, so people can start to really understand more of that entrepreneurial business owner side where no, not every dollar that comes in is really a dollar. It's actually more like in a good gym, it's 33 cents in a bad gym. It's, it might be negative. It might be 10 cents, you know, um, that you're getting off of every dollar that comes in. So, yeah. Yeah. You just, uh, you reminded me of one, one other thing is, you know, if, if you're in a gym, cause you're asking red flags and you just kind of brought up another interesting one in my mind, if, if you're in a gym, you know, and you are maybe of that mindset, you, maybe you're doing some back of the napkin math in your head, you know, oh, well we charge X and I know we've got this many members. And so the owner, you know, must be killing it. Um, but like you said, profitability is a big thing. And if uh, they are running at a negative or the owner has to uh, work another job in order to keep the gym open, that's probably another red flag. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, what are some of the best skills a career coach can have? You know, and I think about it, I'm thinking about it in terms of like, I know you, you talked about your frameworks in your course, but like sales, negotiation, communication, public speaking, mm-hmm. you know, maybe something outside of coaching. I don't know if there's things where it's like, man, if you add, you know, nutrition or maybe example, or if you can get into social media, that's mm-hmm. a good path to make a career. Um, what, what do you think are some of the better skills that can add a lot of value to a gym and a coach? Um, now, do you, do you mean, I just want to clarify, you know, before I give my answer, do you mean like personality traits or something that would be like, see a direct ROI? Something that would have a direct ROI. So like, I think about it in the sense of like, all I hear this often is like, okay, I want to continue growing. I want to do another certification or, you know, have something to aim for and work towards this year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how do I choose that next thing to work on? And what are some of those foundational things that, you know, I, I look at sales as such a big one, massive mm-hmm. one, because if you can sell, it can, it's almost like, it's a multiplier on everything that you do. You know, yeah. if you're decent at the other stuff and you're well-rounded in a lot of things and in kind of the uh, social, psychological, 
um, biological side of things, mm -hmm. then that, that sales skill becomes like a force multiplier on that. You get good at sales and it like five X is what's possible on the other side. Yeah. I would definitely have to agree with you then on that is that your ability to, to sell yourself is huge, but the, sometimes the issue that we have, and I don't know if you see this too, Andrew, but sometimes the issue that, that I see is that like sales kind of gives you that weird, like used car salesman type feeling is like, ah, oh, but I'm, I'm not in sales. And the reality is we, we all are, we just might call it by different terms. Um, so one of the things that we say is like, just get really good at helping people and mm -hmm. the other stuff will, will take care of it. Now that's, backroom talk for understanding the transactional nature of a sale that has, has to take place. Um, but this past year, one of the keynote speakers at, at our virtual two brain summit was Chris Voss. And mm -hmm. he wrote a book called never split the difference. And I sent it out to a handful of my staff immediately after and just their confidence in the, what we call our consultation process that we do with new clients went through the roof. Um, and it's not like they were learning these specialized tactics or getting people to say yes five times or anything like that, but it's really just being comfortable in the conversation, learning how to listen really well. So I, I definitely agree that one that has just such a tremendous direct ROI is that ability to sell. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I love Never Split the Difference. I'll second that recommendation. I mean, technically it's a, a book on negotiation, but it's really... Uh, just another communication yep. uh, tool to have in the toolkit. And um, I think the thing that I liked about that is um, it, it, it further promotes this idea of going into a conversation, not knowing the answers, having sort of a curiosity to yep. it and um, finding ways to keep the other person talking is really big. And I think that that's huge in sales is to find ways to keep that person talking and let get them to really share what's really there and not just the surface level thing. Because I think there's a lot of coaches that will take what you said of like, you know, just continue helping people. And they're, they're, they're very quick to provide a solution to something. Oh, okay. My shoulders bother me. Oh, just do this banded exercise before <laughs> yeah. you come in, just do this, just do that. And really what what's happened is they haven't actually listened to the person and they've jumped to an answer very quickly and I think something like never split the difference is a way to kind of your mirror back stuff to them to force them to elaborate. You know, he's like, oh, your shoulder. He just basically repeats the, his, his tip is like, repeat the, the thing they said back to them with like inflection in your voice as if it's a question and then force them to elaborate on that thing. And you actually get what's really there and maybe what, what their level of motivation or um, urgency is to actually solve that thing, you know? Yeah, you, you bring up a really good point that a lot of times we, this is, I think, for veteran coaches as well as beginner coaches, like you've got this little pre-programmed templated answer in your head when somebody says, shoulder hurts, or I want to lose weight, or I want to get stronger. It's like, oh, do this thing. Like we're ready to show that we know exactly what the solution is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, nice. So what what are some other things that come to mind as it relates to developing coaches, like, I want to kind of hear about hiring a little bit. So more kind of the early stage coach, like, what do you look for in an early stage coach? And um, how, how have you thought about hiring? Like, what are you looking for in a coach in some sort of those intangible things? 
Yeah, it's it's funny you mentioned earlier that you guys just, uh, I think you said you redid your values a, a little mm -hmm. while ago and made them actionable. So we did this last year as well. And so we have four and it's uh, experience joy, embrace community, be consistent and live with faith. And, you know, they're very specific and in order for a reason. Um, but it's really imperative when we're looking to bring somebody on that we can see those values in them. And the first one is the easiest kind of the benchmark that if you walk in for, let's say your interview, or even if you call me on the phone, they say that you can hear somebody smiling. Like if you're not at that point, then that's already a red flag, you know, because what we mean by experience joy for people um, is we're looking for happy people that have no problem smiling, you know, walking into class, being the light for people. So if, if we're missing the boat on that, then we know that it's just not going to be a good fit, you know, right away. And I know that that sounds harsh, but we've been down the road so many times with other people made mistakes to know that like, okay, that's a, that's a big one because I could teach you how to look at, um, you know, cues for squatting or pressing or whatever. But I, I want to know first that we've got a really good base to work with in terms of the social skills, not that we're not going to continue to build on them like we talked earlier. Um, but I want to know that that is there fundamentally first, and then we'll kind of go after that. Yeah, there's also this, I, I like to go really big picture with this and how I've thought about our gym and hiring is like, this is someone like I'm hiring now from the standpoint of like, this person's going to be with our business for at least a decade. Yeah. And I'm going to spend time around this person probably six days a week for the next decade. And I want to find people that like feed me energy and make me happier yes. um, and contribute to a better life for me and our clients and our coaching staff and not just you know, oh, they can deliver a class and I can pay them and it'll take hours off my schedule or, um, you know, they really, they teach the snatch well and they have the certification and all these things. Like those things are not going to contribute to my happiness and well-being. And I think if you go really big picture, like I think a lot of gym owners started this thing because like this is their true passion and they may not, they may not be passionate about it in the sense they want to coach 20 classes a week for the next 40 years, but they're passionate about it in the sense that they still want to show up to this thing every single day and wake up every morning wanting to make it better. And, uh, and if you're going to do that, I think you want to surround yourself with these people that give you joy. That's such a great way to look at it. I've never considered that, but thank you about the, you know, do you see this person being there for 10 years? And I'll tell you a funny story. So, um, I was working with a gym owner a couple of years ago and they were talking about issues with one of their coaches and they said, you know, Josh, uh, every time that I pull up to the gym and I see their car there, it makes me sick to my stomach. Like, I just don't know what to expect. And I'm like, man, like that, that's your gym first. Like, and if you don't feel good about who is in the parking lot, like your day needs to be really good or your client's day is not going to be good. And that's a huge red flag. And I think that you hit the nail on the head to think ahead of, is this person going to be there putting a smile on my face for 10 years? That's big. It's huge. Yeah. 
So we talked a little bit before, before the call on like your, your journey as a coach, and we're kind of talking about how I coached this morning. And then you uh-huh. said, I, I haven't coached a class in two and a half years, but actually uh-huh. I'm going to be on the schedule this next uh, week for a couple of times. So uh-huh. um, how have you thought about, uh, how, how have you evolved? Give us kind of the, the big picture of how this has evolved over the years. And how have you thought about, you know, coaching for yourself as an owner uh-huh. now and moving forward? Yeah. So, you know, when we first opened, I was coaching all the classes, you know, first one uh, started at 530. The last one, they didn't get out of there until 830. And I lived an hour away. So, you know, I've, I've been the guy that's coached all the classes, you know, so I, I know you have every owner has at some point, some owners, you know, still are. And it was I knew at some point that I was going to have to bring somebody on, um, but it was really, really a stretch because that's like you're handing over the keys to your, you know, dream car or, you know, the keys to your livelihood in in some respect. But I I knew I was going to have to because I was only one person. And so that meant theoretically, there's a cap on the number of hours that I could work, which put a cap on the number of people that I could impact. So there was that uh, working for me. And then just wanting to pay forward all the opportunity and people that helped me get to where I was, you know, they stepped, quote unquote, off the coaching floor to give me opportunity. And I'm eternally grateful to all those people that did that for me. And so I wanted to make sure that I moved it forward. So over the years, I would just bring somebody on, step back, bring somebody on, step back until about two and a half years ago. Uh, thereabouts, I was off the schedule completely. So no personal training, no specialty, no group class. And it was great. I mean, I, I think I had gotten to the point that most owners get to where you're just burnt from, not from coaching, but just you always having to be the guy on the floor doing the thing. Um, but behind the scenes, I still do. And I have consistently for almost a decade now, um, done uh, individual design and remote coaching for some people. So I still got kind of like to scratch that itch in terms of coaching. Then I also look at the work that I do with gym owners as, as coaching as well. But a couple weeks ago, my head coach and his girlfriend, um, who's also a coach at our gym, um, they were going away for the weekend as a, as a Christmas present and he was going to be gone that Friday. And I said, Hey man, I'll cover your 9am for you. You know, I I love that group. I love all of our groups, but that's the group I usually work out with. So I I stepped in, coached that class, had a great time. And then I'm going to be coaching again on Saturday morning. And it's, it's not anything where I want to be on the schedule regularly again, but I do uh, like having the freedom to coach when I want to coach like that. Yeah. Yeah. What does your team have to look like to, take you completely off the schedule? I, I think it's more a function of what, what, um, are you talking about just for me personally or just in general? Yeah. For you personally, in terms of like how many coaches did you have and then what okay. did you have to see to be able to confidently do it? So kind of, kind of more of the tangible, like yeah. I had five coaches, two full timers, but then also like what enabled you to do that, to step away. Cause I imagine there was maybe a, a given period of time where you had those staff in place, mm-hmm. but you were still coaching. And then you had to yeah. kind of take this leap of faith to get out of the, out of there. 
Yeah, so it, it's definitely a, a big aspect of trust, right? You have to know that the people that you put in place are gonna, they're gonna do the right thing, uh, but you also have to understand that they're, they're not gonna be at the level that you are and you have to be okay with them making mistakes and let them know that you expect there to be mistakes and you're okay with it. So there's that, but we had, I think at the time, probably like six coaches. Now, um, full disclosure, we have uh, probably of all the gyms I've talked to, the fewest number of group classes per week. Um, and that's just by design. It's always been what's worked for us uh, really well. How so many is that? We run 19 classes per week. Okay. Wow. So that's like, what do you guys do? Like three to four a day, essentially, yep. and then one or two on the weekends? Yeah, three to four a day, and then one on Saturday, and that's it. Yeah. Um, but we do have a really robust kids and teens program. Um, we do have a good weightlifting program. We do a lot of personal training, nutrition coaching, and we also have a, a leg of sports performance that we do at our gym as well. So it's really diverse. And so because of that now, we have a staff of 10. Okay. Um, so I've got a full-time GM and head coach, and then all of our other coaches just spread out to do what it is that is necessary for them to get to their perfect day. All right. So is that a lot of personal training and programming and nutrition coaching, or are a lot of these are a lot of them part-time? How do they, yeah. how do they kind of make that work? Yeah. So um, the majority are part-time. We have the two full-timers and the rest are part-timers. What are your thoughts on part-time versus full-time? Like when you're, when you're advising a gym, how do you think about, you know, when someone is, is questioning which direction should they go, what are some of the things that they should be thinking about with that? Um, I don't think that it matters to, you know, to have full-timers or part-timers. It, it, I think it just needs to be a good fit for the coach coming on board and what the gym owner is actually looking for. I think sometimes where gym owners can get caught uh, between a rock and a hard place when they say they want full-timers, we were just having a, a discussion behind the scenes on this the other day, but you know, the, the owner is looking for the coach that is probably valued at making hundred K a year with all the qualifications and experience that they want. And they really can't even afford to pay them like, you know, 10 bucks a class. And so there's this major disconnect, you know, between actions and ambitions. So we have to kind of help them make that. But saying all that to say, I think that it just needs to make sense for both parties. And the only way that that can be done is just with full transparency. If you have a coach that says, I want to make 50K a year, but as an owner, you know that you don't have the ability to provide that, just be honest with them. Be honest with what you can provide. And if you do like this person want them to, and want them to be a part of your team, how can you get them to the level that they want? Yeah, but I don't, if part-time, full-time, um, I don't think that there's a, a, a right or wrong. You just need to make sure that you're both in alignment. Okay. Um, I like what you said about like, you know, kind of working your way as an owner out of classes. And I've, I've kind of gone back and forth myself where I've gone um, you know, coaching a lot, coaching a little bit. And even recently when I had flexibility to do more or less, I've kind of chosen to do a little bit more or less, or, you know, I'll have five or six hours coaching hours in the schedule and then, uh, we'll lose a coach and we'll have to hire. And then I'll be uh -huh. taking on 10 to 12 hours. 
which is a little bit more than I, I want, but I still very much enjoy coaching. And now I'm not currently on the schedule, but I will take one to two hours here and there. And I really enjoy it. It feeds my day a lot. So now I'm kind of like almost thinking about coaching, like my workout where I'm like, Oh, okay. This is kind of yeah. this cool thing where it, it gets me in touch with the community, but it actually gets me in the right headspace to be more productive in the rest of the day, even though it takes an hour, uh, technically from my day to be able to do that coaching. Um, but one of the things I thought that was really interesting about what you pointed out is that I think there's a lot of gym owners that are taking on more classes that they, than they want to right now. Yeah. And they're having trouble kind of taking themselves out of that, like icon role where mm -hmm. the, the, the members want them. Yep. And, um, and I like what you brought to the table, which is like, there's these ideas of paying it forward to other coaches or like having an impact, not just on the 10 people in the room, but the entire let's call it 150 membership base. What are the things you can do that's gonna impact all 150 in that hour versus just the 10 that you could be in front of? Um, what are the thoughts you have on that or, or ideas or um, just anything that can be helpful for people in that area? Yeah, so they, we still have several people at the gym that remember when I was the only one. And so I, I don't get those comments like I used to, but every now and again, they'll, it, they'll say something like, oh man, when are you gonna come back on the schedule? The one, ironically, you'll get a kick out of this that says it to me the most, understandably, is my mom. So she's been there <laughs> since day one and like she'll message me all the time like, what? I heard you're coaching. Which class are you coaching? I want to see you back. So uh, I do still have that. Um, but I, I think that you really have to believe, you know, within your heart as an owner that you are doing it for the greater good, you know, and and you need to make sure that you figure out what you're going to do when you quote unquote, buy that time back for yourself and be okay with it. You know, like one of the big things I'll never forget, I was working with Coop as my mentor several years ago, and we were working on getting me out of two evening classes per week, finally got to that point, And we got onto a call and he's like, what's what's going on? And I said, Well, I just you know, I don't coach anymore. And I, I feel like I'm just wasting money because I'm paying somebody to be there right now. And he's like, well, what's the reason that you wanted to get out of coaching the evening in the first place? And he's, and I said, well, because I wanted to be home for dinner and bath time with my wife and newborn son. And he's like, well, are you able to do that? And I was like, well, touche. Yes. You know, so being able to be reminded that like, oh, this is why I worked to get to this point. I think you have to keep in the forefront of your mind. Yeah. I love that. You're, you're being pulled to something else, not just pushing away from this thing you don't want. Yeah. Cause then if, if the only reason you're giving rid of these hours is because you're a little burnt out, then as soon as you're not burnt out, you're likely going to try to pull these hours back in the schedule as you hear yeah. that gym member say, Hey, where have you been? You're like, Oh, maybe I should be coaching more. And yeah. you know, I have the energy now I'm not burnt out. I'm going to do a little bit more, but when you have, and I, I love what you brought to the table is like, it doesn't even have to necessarily be, you're going to work on this thing in the business. It could be, I'm going to do something for me and my family. Yeah. That's going to make this thing sustainable and enjoyable for, for years and decades to come. Yeah. It, and it's still hard, you know, because I used to coach everybody at the 5 PM class. And so if I go up there, which is very rare these days, but they're like, Oh, look who showed up. And there are times where I'm like, Oh man, I, I do miss it. 
but I miss my family more. And it yeah. took me a, a while to be okay with admitting that to myself, but it's like, that's who I want to please first is my family. Awesome. And I, I sound like, I feel like that comes back to what you said was kind of the, the real base of the pyramid, the self-discovery aspect, yeah. which is like, what is your perfect day? What are you really chasing? And until that is done, mm -hmm. then a lot of this stuff, it doesn't really fall into place. Is there any, is there like, uh, we'll kind of wrap up here. I know you got to go, but is there like one or two questions in that self-discovery that are your favorites for people to spend some time like journaling, thinking about? I, the biggest one, and this, this takes time and a lot of self-reflection, but is what do you want your day to look like? And, and it, it, I know that sounds like such a basic, like silly question, but do you want to wake up with an alarm or do you want to wake up when you wake up? I don't, I haven't woken up with an alarm in about a year and a half and it is the greatest thing ever. I mean, I'm still up really early, but it's just because I'm so rhythm and routine driven. So literally go through and figure out what do you want your day to look like? And the further that you refine that, you'll see that you are actually removing more things than you were adding in. And so that gives you a really clear vision of what you can start working towards. I love that so much as I've, as I've kind of, again, gotten more big picture, it's like, it doesn't matter how much money you have in the bank. doesn't matter how much success you've had. Ultimately, we still have the same amount of time. And if you have a hundred million dollars in the bank, you still have to figure out what you're going to do on a daily basis. And you have to do stuff that's going to fulfill you, give you joy and why not just start there? Why not just start with mm -hmm. like, what do I want my ideal day, day to look like? And could you pull that off with a lot less money? Could you pull that off with a lot less stress or, you know, headaches? And uh, I, I love that as just a, a real tangible thing to finish up with. Yeah. So um, where can people find out more about um, Two Brain Coaching and anywhere that you'd like to direct them, finish this up? Yeah, for sure. So uh, our website is twobraincoaching.com. Um, all the information for the, the different courses that we offer are on there. And then if you've got any specific questions or you'd like to get in touch with me, you can email me. It's josh at twobraincoaching.com. Awesome. Thanks for coming on the show, Josh. Absolutely, man. Thank you too, Andrew.